This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast joined in studio by Alex Ferrario from 101 ESPN and the Athletics' Jeremy Rutherford. My name is Donnie Fandango. I think I might have said that already. Here's the thing. Uh, I've already had a Dr. Pepper this morning, and I am... Wired. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I, I've got a lot to do today. So, like, when I woke up this morning, my mind was already, like, ticking off the things that I got to do. I have a client meeting later today, Uh-oh. which I, I, I haven't been on one of these in a while. Uh, as you can tell, I wore my big Lebowski bowling shirt in, uh, you know. Hey, I'll trade d- you. You d- want to wear d- my suit? I'll take your Lebowski shirt. First of all, second of all, how sharp look does Ferrario look today? Look at this guy. Dude, just a bet. That's my, my maroon suit. I love it. So my wife bought it for me for an anniversary gift. I didn't think I could pull it off. I thought I looked too disco with it on. <laughs> oh, dude, you're crazy. You wear the hell out of that All thing. All right, good. Dude, and you know what? Uh, Katie needs to be the one that's picking out your suits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she picks everything out, Donnie. That's perfect. I'm not ashamed to say my wife will pick out my clothes for me. No, well, that I don't think that's bad at all. No. Uh, because I... I, my kid or my daughter Ava, my wife, they won't pick out the clothes necessarily. But if I'm getting ready to walk out in something yes. that is too much, they will absolutely say it. And apparently, the one that I'm getting zinged for more lately is um, my desire to match my hat with my T-shirt. So if I'm wearing a Bills T-shirt, I want to wear a Bills hat. And if I am wearing a blues, you know, blues, blah blah blah, and my daughter will be like, "Dad, that's that's too much," or she'll do one of these. Well, Dad, I guess you like the blues, like you know, real, like you know, like dry, you know, smart ass stuff. A backhanded compliment. Nah, that's you know, that's me yeah. coming through. Well, okay, that's so. Funny. So she'll they'll stop me, like hey, you know, maybe <laughs> take the hat off. Well, Donnie, in the hockey world, I mean, all the people around the team dress pretty sharp. I mean, obviously, the players, but they're dealing with a different uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. tailor yeah. than, than we are. But no, Alex looks the part. He looks the part walking down at Enterprise Center. I got to tell you that one time I was like, you know what, I got to get a suit, and so I went to TJ Maxx. I'm gonna splurge, right? And, and I get a pin. Pinstripe suit. This is probably like size. Pinstriped. Black pinstripe, probably size 40 pants, right? <laughs> this thing's looking sharp. And I am so excited in the afternoon that tonight I'm going to walk in the Blues press box with this suit on. And uh, I walk in, and Mike Claiborne, we all know Claibs. Yeah. He goes, oh, yeah. Uh, hey, man. Is that a new suit? And I said, he noticed. Oh, my gosh. Do I look sharp? Or what? This is what I was looking for. And I said, yeah, it is. I just got it today. Uh, how'd you know? And he goes, uh, turn around, man. You still got the tags oh, on that thing. He said, no. uh, so here, come here. There's some scissors over here. Let's cut these tags oh, off. God bless you, Clayton, because Clayton saw it and, and, and took care of JR for Dude, him. that is amazing. Dude, that was 15 years ago, and I was still walking the press box, and Clayton's ago, man, that a new suit. Dude, I have to tell you, so I don't, I don't mean to, like, Take it, take it on this sidebar. But that's what we do here. I, I think of all of the St. Louis sports people that I have followed throughout the course of my time living in St. Louis. Mike Claiborne is probably one of the most important folks that I have just listened to for forever. You know, I think that Klaibs might be one of the very first people that, like, sort of brought to my attention that you can be, like, a sane sports fan. Yeah. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. you can criticize the team, but also still love the team. I mean, I I just, I love listening to that man talk sports. I mean, Mike Claiborne, who was one of, uh, JR and Mike Claiborne were the two guys that I kind of 
watched and worked behind when I got into this business. JR, of course, on the blue side, Curbs then when I started to be his booth assistant. But, man, when I got to Campbell X, Mike Claiborne was the one I was doing sports open lines from 9 to midnight with. And, one, he's always so calm when he's talking sports. And I, I've i always envied that because everybody gets worked up when you talk sports yeah. and you show your emotions. Man, Claibs could see a 12-game losing streak and just be as chill as he would with a 12-game winning streak. <laughs> it was It's incredible to witness. But to your point... The advice that I got from him was when you're talking sports, you can be critical, but he's like, always think of, always think of if that person's family's listening to the radio yeah. and he's out of that family's, if that person's family's cringing at what you're saying, you're doing it wrong. You can critique, you can criticize, but you can't take shots at the person. Yeah. And I always took that to heart with Klaibs, but watching him do live at Mike Shannon's on Saturdays, watching him do Cardinals fill-in, watching him do sports open lines, he did color analyst work when Kelly Chase was out during the Blues broadcasts with Curbs. The man knows about as much as you can ask to know about sports in general, but St. Louis sports, and I think he's going into the St. Louis sports Hall of Fame this year. Uh, and a very deserved honor for Clay. Yeah, he, he's the best. And I remember being a young kid, and I'd call into, I think it was KSP, maybe KFNS at the time, and he'd be the host. He didn't know me. I didn't know him, but I called in and asked sports questions. Yeah. And then now to have a relationship with him years later. So, like, during the blue season, I'll look at my phone as Mike Claiborne. I, oh, I got to answer this. I never yep. skip his call, Same. right? And I answer, and uh, he goes, hey, man, I just want to tell you, great article yesterday. He's so supportive. He backs you, everything like that. The only thing with Claves. Every once in a while, the Blues will lose like four to one a couple years ago. And he'd be like, they got to give Ryan Reeves like 20 minutes of playing time. They need a bigger fourth line. They need people who can drop the gloves. Like, okay, Mike, I got to go, man. <laughs> I, I love it too because when he calls, it's one of two things. He's going to compliment you and talk about you and your family. He always asks about how my wife is doing, how the girls are doing. Or the other is he's calling. He's like, man, what the hell's going on with this Blues team? <laughs> and it's a good 15 minutes of just talking. It's like explaining. He goes, yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> I just I love Klaibs, everything about him. And I just feel very, very blessed that I, I grew up here because there were just so many folks that I mean, so many great sports folks that I read and I mean oh, I yeah. was reading Bernie McClis in the third grade mm-hmm. yeah. and I think that I had a pretty good understanding of what the heck he was saying and and That's like weird. I wrote I read Jr. when oh, I was in third on. grade. <laughs> First like of all, sorry guys. Yeah, like that's that a rip on both of us, Jeremy. Jeez, man, that suit's a little tight. <laughs> sorry guys. <laughs> it is actually now that you say that. I went down to one belt buckle. Well, dude, that's like for real. I think that's why I get tripped up and and don't feel completely comfortable with the press box situation because like I see those guys up there and you guys up there and I go you guys are legit like and and, and then just just that you know man there's all there's so much work that goes into what you do there is so much extra stuff that people don't see that has been put in all throughout the years you know man just like with me and shows and bands and all that stuff I just feel like it's you know, other yeah. foot kind of thing. I'm the least hardest working person up in that no, press box. Dude, Watching, that's, that's crazy. That's, it is, though, because like J.R., Lou, Matt DeFranks, the amount of work that they put in from a 10.30 skate, don't get out of skate till about 12, 12.30, and then like some of them, I know J.R. has individual pieces he works on, but the game day pieces, you're cranking those out before the game, and you're sitting there from 6 to 2 o'clock in the morning cranking out stories, and then if the game goes to overtime or a shootout, I, I mean, I used to shadow J.R., and watching... 
the dis- the uh, the destruction that is control A and delete to an entire story once a game goes to overtime is just baffling. You're making a lot of good points. Keep going, Donnie. Do we have time? <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say we can keep we can keep going, man. Still Absolutely. Tight now, Jr. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, gentlemen, we have got a uh, we're we're into January here now. We have got a team um, that it, I mean. Just is hanging around the Stanley Cup. <laughs> well, <laughs> listen, I, I think that I, I don't even want to say hanging around. I don't even think that gives them justice. No. I think since Drew Bannister has taken over this team, they look different. They look better. I don't think that any of our opinions have changed as far as might make the playoffs, might not. Um, I don't think that this is a team that could go deep, even if they do. But guys, we're seeing an improvement in this team, and. For those of us that questioned the coaching change when it did, it looks like Doug Armstrong might have friggin' hit this one out of the park too. Yeah, I mean, I still don't agree with it, but I, the part I don't agree with is they're they're, they're playing Craig Berube hockey. Like, mm-hmm. there's nothing different than what they're doing now compared to what they wanted or they wanted the team to do with Berube. But Drew Bannister's got the right message, whatever it is. He's got the ears of these players, and they're playing to that style. They're committing to it. Seven and three since he's taken over with ten games. And the part that baffles me is they're winning one goal hockey games. They're mm-hmm. winning two to one. They're winning four to three. Think of the teams that they beat two to one: the Dallas Stars, the Vancouver Canucks. You nearly beat Colorado in that two to one game or three to two game that took place. And then, of course, you just did this against the Carolina Hurricanes. Last year, you know how many games they won where they scored fewer than two goals or fewer than three goals? Three of them. Whoa. And you've won three of them already in the last 11 games. So tight hockey, whatever it might be, to me, a foundation for a team that's starting to build something, build confidence, is when you've got a 1-1 hockey game, can you pull out that victory still? Or when mm-hmm. it's 2-1, can you hold on in the third period? They just went back-to-back games doing that. So that's an identity identity of this team that I did not anticipate this season. Yeah, Donnie, I touched on this with uh, Tim McKernan on uh, Bloom Party yesterday on 101, and I, I said that uh, I think what Doug Armstrong is, is really great at is realizing the situation and then kind of attacking it. So I think both things can still be right. I think that, you know, I was critical of the roster when he fired Craig Berube and it said, hey, look, it's more the roster than it is Craig Berube's coaching, which I still believe, even though they're seven and three in the last 10 games. Mm -hmm. And I'll get to that in a second. You know, I think it can be a situation where even Doug would probably admit that maybe he could have gone in a different direction with a few guys or contracts or, or things like that. And maybe if he had a redo, he, he he would do things a little bit differently. Maybe. I don't want to speak for him. But the situation became what it became, and then it, in his mind, needed addressing, and he addressed it. He made the coaching st- change. And I think whether you like Craig Bruby or you don't think he should have been fired, you know, a new voice comes in. It's always going to get everybody's attention, mm-hmm. and, and that's really worked here. But what Drew Bannister, I think, does very well that has helped this team win hockey games now is attention to detail, hammer at home, intensity in practice some players have talked about that here lately and he saw something recently here with the defense the staff did and they're tightening up and that allows you to win the 2-1 games guess what that allows you to win a tight game in the third period they've done a lot of that lately well and it doesn't seem and correct me if i'm wrong here guys but it doesn't seem like in the 10 games that banister has been behind the bench that we have had one of those games where the blues have gotten behind and then and then just just didn't and then you know skating around and and just Tampa. That, that's the only one. I, I guess you're right. And, but look what happened in that Tampa game. That was the second game, correct, under Drew Bannister. Buchnevich got sat in the third that's period. Right. 
We talked about it. The yep. next game, Booch goes off and has himself an incredible night. And ever since then, you have not seen that type of hockey game. And, and I agree with that 100%. The only thing I'll point out is, is this. When you have that coaching change, which is such a you know turbulent time, Absolutely. And, and you have the GM coming out saying, with this new guy, I want accountability. I want to compete. The players see all that. They hear all that, right? I mean, how could you not then come out – and accept accountability like Buchnevich mm-hmm. did, and then also come out and compete every game. And yeah. so I think what's happening is, remember, they'd had the poor starts, and then you get down 2 nothing, and now you're chasing the game. Those are the types of games that you guys are talking about. But now they're coming out strong in these games, with the exception of that Tampa game, and it's allowing them to stay in games throughout it, and they don't have to be in a position like they were. So to me, Drew Bannister's done a terrific job. Uh, but I think that when you have the situation that the Blues have and you have the GM coming out, look, if Craig Berube were still here and Doug were saying accountability and compete, I don't think we'd oh, see yeah. that change. Well, it, we it, haven't. It took the coaching change for that to happen. Yeah, I mean, oh, look, last wild. last year he had three separate press conferences, Doug Armstrong did, talking about accountability, talking about the players need to go out there and show a little life, and nothing changed. Now, you'd get spurts, and then at the end of the season you looked like a different team, but then you opened up with the same story different day. The other thing, too, is you've got confidence in a group of players. I mean, the Blackhawks game where you got down and you were standing around and Chicago pushed back and got a, a lead, but you had the confidence to come back in that one. The Dallas Stars game, they scored first, you pushed back. This team has done a lot of realizing that they're not out of hockey games compared to earlier in the season when one goal would go in. I've kept the stat 17 times after one goal goal goes in, another two or three go in in less than three minutes. That has only happened twice since Drew Bannister took over. Well, and then also, too, so what was it? We've been without Justin Falk for, what, four games, three, three games, games, four games? Yeah, Colorado game. So when he gets hurt, I'm thinking to myself, whoa, boy, this is going to be a real tough guy to replace in minutes and in ability and then it seems to me you get Matt Kessel coming in here. <laughs> Hello, Matt Kessel. And it, I, it doesn't seem like they've really missed a beat and with with a major piece in Falk out. So obviously you've got players doing what they need to do. But can we talk about Matt Kessel? Can we talk about does Matt Kessel have a place when Justin Falk comes back? Um, and also maybe just this the way that this defense is kind of evolving a little bit because you're seeing – more consistency out of Perunovic. You're maybe seeing a little bit a spurt in Kessel. Like, how do you guys envision this? And maybe I'm just getting a little too crazy for this no, kid. No, I, I don't think know. You're right, and I mentioned that in my article this morning at the Athletic about Matt Kessel stepping in for Justin Falk. You're talking about a guy. Falk's a leader. You know, Alex sees that in the locker room, and and he plays 20 plus minutes, right? And and especially when you talk about how well the defense is playing right now, you would think, okay, Falk's a part of that, right? No, the 23-year-old fifth-round draft pick, <laughs> Matt Kessel, is playing top four minutes. And, oh, by the way, look at the the teams that they're playing and the high-caliber offensive players that they're playing. I talked to Matt Kessel for a little bit yesterday. He said, this is so much fun, it's a challenge, but it goes back to the past couple years with Drew Bannister in Springfield, that staff reviewing film, showing him what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong. He said there was so much accountability in Springfield that now he gets up here and he's just hoping to make it translate at this level. You ask a great question, though. You know, what's going to happen with Kessel when Falk comes back? I would guess 
he'd be go he'd go back to Springfield because Falk's obviously going to reclaim his spot. Right. And then that third pairing's been really good with uh, Perinovich and Scandella. But the one thing that it shows is the Blues have a lot of left side defensemen and especially you know guys coming up. Uh, but they don't have a lot of good right shot defensemen who are young prospects for the future. You know Kessel when he first came up, I thought okay, well you know what do they see right. here and and can he be a guy of the future? I think right now we've seen that he can be. The part two with Kessel is I, I remember talking with the play by play guy for the Thunderbirds and he said Matt Kessel is a really good shutdown defenseman. And what do we always ask for with Blues defense? At least the last couple of years, Blues fans size and the ability to shut down. Yeah. He's six foot three and he's on the right side and he's been playing with Tory Krug and Tory Krug's looked really good also. So, so uh, that it's working in his favor. And, and to your question, uh, it's crazy for me to think of because he does he will go back to Springfield once this happens. But man, it, it, when you get to the trade deadline, and if you feel like these guys are ready to take the next step, if Marco Scandell is gaining any interest, a Matt Kessel playing with a Tory Krug, a Scott Perunovich playing with a Justin Falk, you're getting to the point where you have a little bit more depth in your top six rather than shortening the bench like they have done a couple of times. I don't know if that works. Perunovic seems to be very comfortable playing on the right side, which might cause some questions of what goes on there. But for a guy like Matthew Kessel, Matthew Kessel after the trade deadline, man, I got to imagine he's going to get a sustained look uh, again. Would would Kessel's emergence, and, and I apologize if, if there's something here I'm missing, but would Kessel's emergence hinder Tyler Tucker? And some of his, uh, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't know if it hinders it. I mean, Tucker's a left-handed defenseman. Okay. Kessel's a right-handed right. defenseman. Okay. All right, I didn't the, the hard it. part is, like, what hinders it is Pareko and Falk are your right side. Got and it. If Perunovic likes to play on the right side, you got a lot of guys that like to get in there. Now, I got think it. Tucker's played on the right side a little bit also, yeah. so that could work. He can, and, and point taken about the lefty-righty thing because that is a big deal, but I think where it hinders it is it's one of the six spots, right? Yeah. And and so depending on if Scandell is here after the trade deadline or not, um, you know, it's a spot that, you know, Tucker's not playing if, if Kessel and is Kessel's in And Kessel's playing against top teams and doing really well against them. And, and I them. think it says a lot, too, that, you know, they had Tyler Tucker available to slide into the top six when Justin Falk went out, and what they do? They called up Tyler uh, yeah, Matt, Matt Kessel, Kessel yeah. to, to put in there. So, I, yeah, it's a spot eaten up. Uh, I think they still like Tyler Tucker. Right, I think, right, right. You know, the development still needs to, to come. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's when you got two or three young guys like Aparinovich, Tucker, Kessel, all fighting for spot. They're not going to play all of them, so. yeah. unless you go eight defensemen, which I don't <laughs> think that's going to happen. But you know, it's kind of exciting, just in the sense of that. You know, we we hear often and we talk often about, excuse me, <clears throat> the Blues forwards. Not only now, but the ones that are coming up. And so, you know, the one area where you don't seem to hear as much positive chatter is the defensive core and what's coming next. We know with the goalies, we seem like we're pretty stacked. Forwards seem the same way. But it's nice when you see a Kessel raise his hand, when you have a good, you know, Tyler Tucker game or or what have you. You know, just the next group. Yeah. and I think the reason for that is because the forwards that the Blues have coming up through the system are all high caliber, high draft pick type guys where a lot of these uh, defensemen that they do have have always been fifth or sixth type defensemen. And, and that's because of uh, the drafts recently. Those The best players available have been those forwards, the Dvorskis, the Robert Thomases, the Jordan Kairos. And, and so I think that's the reason. And Doug Armstrong said it yesterday. I talked to him about it. I said, hey, Doug, the fact that all these young guys did well at the uh, yeah. World Junior Championship, I mean, other teams are seeing that because it's on such a huge stage. You know, when it comes trade deadline time, and he kind of picked up where I was left off asking the question, <laughs> he goes, oh, yeah, you know, a lot of times you'll get calls from general managers and they'll say, hey, 
we want so-and-so. And then the other team calls about the same guy. The other team calls about the same guy. He goes, now they're going to be calling about four or five different guys. And so where, where I'm taking this is, you know, now the Blues have the ability, maybe they trade one of these stud young forwards for a stud young defenseman. They mm-hmm. have that ability. Yeah. And this is the part two at the draft. And I remember there were a couple of analysts that were talking about how the Blues have all of these left-handed defensemen in their system and don't have any right-handed defensemen. And why do they have all of these guys? You can't use them all. And to when I saw that, I'm like, do they not see the picture here? Like, Lindstein from this tournament. Like, Lindstein was a, a late first-round pick. Now I almost guarantee there are going to be a lot of general managers calling about that because that guy was one of the best players on Team Sweden. Yeah. You've got a couple of left-handed defensemen that are playing in juniors hockey right now in Butchinger and Gaudet. Two guys that stocks continue to go up. It's good to have all of those left-handed defensemen. Just like starting pitching, you're not going to use all of these guys. If you've got eight guys with three in your minor league system that project to be top three pitchers, well, that's going to be able to get you something that you're weak in, and you can make that trade yeah. moving forward. So, man, that 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 World Juniors tournament did more than just get Blues fans excited about the pipe system for the Blues. Okay, I have a—the questions that I have, for, for the most part, uh, are— um, are not blues related, all right? But oh, we're going to start with this. Now, now hold this. on, Ferrario. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, I want to start out. I want to go to the World Juniors real quick. Uh, Jimmy Snuggerud has an amazing tournament, and um, uh, Armstrong comes out yesterday yeah. and says what you said last week during the podcast, which is you might be able to expect Jimmy Snuggerud here before oh, yeah. the end of the year. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people have asked me that question the past couple of days. It depends on a lot of things here. I mean, you know, I don't know what Minnesota's chances are of advancing to the uh, Frozen Four, but that's in April, right? And, you know, how many games are left in the blue season at that point? Right. And are they a playoff team? Are they not a playoff team? And also, you know, what does the team look like? Have they traded a couple forwards? Is Brandon Saad still here? You know, that type of thing. So, I think Doug Armstrong made it clear yesterday that the opportunity, if presented, will be there for Jimmy Snuggerud to turn pro. You know, the other option is maybe he doesn't come to St. Louis. Maybe he goes to Springfield. He does the professional tryout, plays seven, eight games. We've talked about that in the past. David Backus, those types of guys did that. And then you come to St. Louis the following year to training camp. So I think it's all going to be about timing, when Snuggerud season ends, when the Blues, where they're at in their season before they make that decision. I think it's going to come down to, two if you have a little bit of a playoff run, mm-hmm. whether it's Springfield or St. Louis, because that's going to be impactful for a guy like that. And we had Army on yesterday with BK and Ferrario, and I asked him, because if he plays in the NHL, you burn a year of that entry-level yes. contract. ATO means you're going to be a tryout and you don't burn a year of that entry-level contract. Army said, I don't care. He's like, those guys get their monies when they get their money, so if they're ready to turn pro. And Army made it very clear he feels like his shot is ready to play at the NHL level. And he even went as far to talk about playing with a guy like Robert Thomas. So that goes to show you the excitement level that they have for somebody that just did that at the World Juniors Tournament. And the best comp is Matthew Nyes with Toronto. Happened the same thing to him last year. Now, I don't know. He only played three games with Toronto, and I think that's because Minnesota went all the way to the Frozen Four, if not the championship game. So that was a lot of games played. I don't know if this Minnesota team's the same level as they were last year with Nyes and Cooley. So maybe you get five to six if he plays with the Blues. But, man, if you get a playoff run, whether it's in St. Louis or Springfield, I think you want to get that as quick as possible. And, Donnie, uh, he talks about Matthew Knives. So Knives, Cooley, and Snuggerud all played together at University of Minnesota last year. 
Nyes goes to Toronto. Cooley this year goes to Arizona. Both of those guys look like they completely oh, yeah. fit in with those teams, and yeah. they fit in at the National and playing Hockey top level. lines on both of them, playing top lines, and Snuggerud's right there with them. So I think if you're, you know, it's tough to get into projections sometimes, mm-hmm. but if he can look like his line mates from Minnesota in the NHL, it looks pretty good. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the patented Alex Ferrario comps for yeah, the player. Oh, here we go. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that to that camera. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Hey, hey I do. I, I want to throw this in real quick. This doesn't have anything to, but, and I've said it the last couple of podcasts, but I just want to reinforce my absolutely growing love by the game for God dang Jake Neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about that dude, I freaking love it, man. He, like, he, he, he had just looks a little pissed off every second of that game and I and he plays and he plays that way too this kid this kid is going to be the deal here yeah. man i can't this is just the beginning of what this yep. dude is going to do hey donnie before uh, we went on this recording the pod here i was telling you off the air that uh, my son and i were watching the carolina game in the hotel room bed in Nashville, and when neighbors scored that shootout goal to keep it going, I'm like, wow, like that that is impressive. So, you know, fortunate in this job, you're able to go to his locker stall a couple days later and talk to him about it. And listen, so 19 years covering the Blues, a lot of times you talk to a guy about a play that he made. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, just the situation made the play, so on and so forth. I look at neighbors, I go, hey, tell me about this shootout goal. He goes, I was nervous as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, so I love I'm it. Laughing and, and, and he said that uh, you know some people know how the shootout works in terms of you know who's up next. Well, they picked their three guys. Well, the coaching staff said, hey, if Kyrou you know he shoot he misses, then neighbors you're going next. So he didn't know until the three went that that he was even going to be able to to go. And and then he says uh, he goes, well, you know I do this move in practice. That's my go to move. I figure if they're calling my name, I better do it. So <laughs> right, it worked. He he is. I think he's got the full package. I, I felt like he had more skill than a fourth line player uh, where he started out the year. And I think he's shown it. He's climbed the lineup and he just does all the little things right. Okay, so. Speaking of, and I didn't bring my phone, and I did not write down the name, so Alex, you're going to have to help me, but I messaged you last week Mm -hmm. after the U.S. won the World Juniors, and there is this friggin' U.S. player that is talking smack to every single player on the other team. Cutter Gautier, I think his name is. There you go. I say, hey, I think I got a new favorite player. (laughs) I love this guy. So then over the course of the last 24 hours... What in the Sam heck is going on with this young (laughs) man? So it was a fifth overall pick last year or two years ago, yeah, yeah, with Philadelphia, and still in college, U.S. development team, World Juniors. Apparently, from what Danny Breer said yesterday, did not want to sign in Philadelphia. Basically, had not talked to him about signing an entry-level contract, snubbed him at the World Juniors, didn't talk to him, and said, I don't want to play for Philadelphia. And so they kept it under wraps, which props to Danny Briere, because how tough is it today to keep that under wraps? That's amazing. And they found a trade that worked out for him. And, I mean, honestly, it's a good trade for Philadelphia. You got a projected top pair defenseman in Jamie Drysdale. But I, I, I saw it last night, and I sent it to Donnie because I'm like, Imagine drafting somebody fifth overall 
And then, now mind you, that wasn't Danny Breer that drafted him. That was the other front office general manager that drafted him. Danny Breer took over in the middle of last season. But imagine drafting somebody that projects to be a top-line franchise player and him saying, nah, I don't want to sign with you. Okay, so how I get this is that initially when he was drafted by Philadelphia, he said to them, I am a flyer. Yeah. I play like a flyer. But then something happened at the World Juniors last year that affected this year? I don't know if it was the World Juniors. Yeah, or, I don't know any specifics okay. in terms of yeah. an incident that happened. You know, it could have just been him talking to people around the league and you know, talking maybe, to prospects on other teams at World Juniors. Maybe he doesn't want to play for, I'm just speculating here, maybe he doesn't want to play for Tortorella, maybe he doesn't like the future of the flight, maybe he doesn't like his fit. It could be a number of things, but sure. pretty ballsy to, to you know, right? to well, steer this thing. Okay, and listen, ballsy is a word for it, but, <laughs> but listen, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but if I'm a prospect looking at the Flyers, to me, I would be like, holy crap, this is like the bottom floor of what could be a, a, a resurgence of the Flyers organization. They've got great picks. They're having a better year. You know, we talked about it, a better year than people expected. They've got the next Alex Ovechkin coming over in a couple of years. It, it just, it makes me, it makes me, honestly... It makes me kind of wonder about the kid more than anything else. That's the part for or me. Or where he's getting his yeah. advice from, which yeah. might be it as that, much as anything. And, I mean, I hate to shoot down somebody like that, but that's the part that gets me because when you're a young kid, a lot of them with that mindset feel like, I'll be affixed to the problem, uh-huh. not so much as I don't want to go there. And maybe there was more to it. Maybe he wanted to be closer. I don't know where he's from, maybe closer to family, something yeah, like yeah. that. But it was just wild to me because they're talking like this kid could be a franchise-altering player for the Flyers. And then to think that you're Danny Briere, and this is the part that was so baffling to me, you take over a team, it's your first time being a general manager, like you haven't been a general manager previously, and you're trying to take this Philadelphia Flyers team that's selected top 10 last year to a team that's going to start winning and now one of your top picks one of the guy that you're supposed to be excited about says man i don't want to play with you and now you got to make a trade knowing that i i don't hold the cards he holds all the cards because i got to find somebody who's willing to take that player and he wants to go there yeah and it could have some ramifications you know we don't know all the details but right. but it could have some ramifications what if the next guy to get picked by philadelphia in the first rounds why didn't he want to play there what, right. do i want to play there and that stuff probably is known behind the scenes so the agents will know and let the players know and, and maybe it was isolated with this kid all i know is i think if uh, if i was going to spurn somebody philadelphia would be the last city <laughs> to, like, can you imagine he touches the puck that first anaheim oh. game Oh God! <laughs> right, that kid's gonna be in for a world of hurt. And I'm not. And I'm. I mean, I say this like jokingly, kind of or whatever. Dude, they're gonna find out what hell Telly's stand. He's oh, not gonna be sleeping that night. His, his, his whatever he checks in as better not be anything close as to what his real name is, man. <laughs> Philadelphia Flyer fans are Baru. I, I mean, that like that is just something that I <laughs> that I have marveled at since watching. Uh, since watching Philly fans throw batteries at at, uh, at JD, JD Drew, oh, yeah. you know, like like booing friggin' uh, Santa Claus and cheering when Michael Irvin is taken off the field on a stretcher. <laughs> were, this is another level of yeah. fan they were here, booing people. Jalen Hurts these last three games, and that guy got you to a Super Bowl last yeah, year. Yeah, checks into the hotel. Can I have your name, please? Yeah, Ted Reed. <laughs> right, Ted Reed. <laughs> Just start making up names. All right, and I can't believe that I'm saying this. Well, I can because I have sympathy. But what a friggin' bummer that Connor Bedard gets hurt. No. Uh, I, I I I understand the circumstances in which, and sometimes, kid, you got to keep your head up. But man, I, I mean, 
I hope that he's back in time to carry on with what has been a really tremendous rookie season. It's funny when that, not funny, but when that hit happened, I saw a tweet that said, now the NHL announces they're shutting down for four to six weeks because Connor <laughs> Bedard is out. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a clean hit. I, I, I think, and I remember talking, I, I don't remember if it was Carl Gunnarsson or Robert Portuzo a few years ago, but I remember talking with them about defending young kids that come into the league. And they said, like, it's tough because you have that physical background that you want to play with, but you know that they're learning the process. And that was a play that put his head down and he went right up the middle like he's done in juniors his entire life. But now you've got six foot five Brendan Smiths that say, nope, you're not doing that to me. Mm-hmm. Because think if you, if he pulls that move off and goes around Brendan Smith, everybody's going to be talking about it. And Brendan Smith's probably thinking like, man, I got to stand up for my career. Right, I'm going to get posterized. Yeah. I got to make sure that this kid doesn't make me a highlight reel. And I thought it was a clean hit. Now, did he get him on the jaw? Yeah, probably. That's a little surprising, but big versus little, yeah. that's what happens. It sucks that he's out. It sucks because that's a, a name figure in the NHL and there's so much hype and you wanted to see him at the All-Star game. But man, I didn't un- I didn't understand any of the backlash on Brendan Smith. I thought it was a clean hit doing what he needed to do. Yeah, and not every young prospect gets his jaw broken in a situation like that, but a lot of young players learn their lesson like, yeah. okay, I need to yeah. you know, I need you to get be dropped more and you're like, okay. Vigilant. And uh for this next part, um could you please pot us down so the Blues fans can't hear me say this, but uh I just hope it doesn't put Connor Bedard in a situation. I don't think it will, but I just want to say this where he he's just hesitant and doesn't become the player yes. that, that he can like he's he gun is. shy or whatever yeah, and and you know maybe it lasts for a couple of weeks when he comes back who knows but he's got you know unreal vision oh, yeah. uncanny skill the whole nine yards and i'm sure it'll have some impact on how he drives the offensive zone and uh, it should right because he yeah. needs to be aware so i get that part but i just hope it doesn't take away from any of the creativity and, and the things he's trying to do one of the things that i love about hockey um is the tradition um I love that when I see that Montreal Canadian sweater, I still kind of stand up a little bit straight. You know, like like what, what, no matter where the organization is right now, respect where it's due. With that said, the last couple of years, uh, I have really been fascinated with everything that's going on in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, with the star power there, with it being the hockey, the center of the hockey universe. And yesterday or the day before, the news comes out that they signed Mitch Marner to a huge huge friggin' deal. Yeah. So now they've got four guys locked in, taking up, I want to say, 47% yep. of their cap 6. space. 6.5 billion. Yeah. No, I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but not- well, what's wild about that is if you add in Morgan Riley, who's under contract, there are five players that are making $51.5 million next year. Guys, tell me how this can work out. <laughs> how how can you have the 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 your the payroll so top heavy? I mean, yep. there aren't they just gonna kind of be in this position I, in two years when Mitch Martin needs a new contract? Yeah. Now, see, this is the now. Next year is the final year in John Tavares's contract and Mitch Marner's contract, and Tavares is making ten point nine million dollars. So the following year, after next year, you'll have Matthews and Nylander locked up, and then you'll have no, M- Marner and Tavares will be free agents. So that opens up like twenty one, twenty two million dollars. Now, mind you, the cap's going to be up probably eight or nine million dollars. So. Y- Toronto will be able to probably sign Mitch Marner to a $12 million contract extension, and they'll have Matthews, Marner, and Nylander all locked up around like $35 million. That's a lot more doable than what they are now. But for next year, you're going to have to have your 
They have 12 players on contracts next year, and they have $21 million available to them in cap space. Whoa. So you have to fill 11 roster spots with $21 million. Now, you're not getting guys. I mean, you're not getting top six, top nine guys for less than $2 million, unless they really want to play with Toronto. Right. So uh, next year is going to be, I have no freaking idea how they're going to pull it off, but Toronto's done crazier things. But in two years, I think they'll be right back to where they need to be because you'll have Matthews, Nylander, um, and Marner, and then build your roster from there. Well, because yeah. it, it just it hasn't worked yet, right, with, yeah. with spending all that money on four guys. Uh, but I think what they're trying to look at is, like what Alex touched on, is the cap's going to go up. You know, Tavares will be gone, and it, you can't not sign Nylander. Like, mm-hmm. you have to bring him back, and you just hope that these playoff losses harden yeah. this core group, just like it has with every team that wins the Cup. The two or three years prior, that same group of players loses, and mm-hmm. then they come back and they know what it takes. And But what it does set up for, which Alex touched on too, is um, you can't miss on any of these fringe guys nope. that you're signing. Like, you can't give Ryan Reeves a three-year deal and think that he's going to be the answer in the playoffs. You know, regardless of the money being one point, two point, whatever. He doesn't play in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah you don't. You don't play. So, so what you're going to have to do is just hit jackpot on all those players that you're putting around. Your those bottom stars. six is probably going to have to combine for because they'll have another defenseman to sign because they're one of their top four guys is going to be a UFA next year. Your bottom six is probably going to have to combine for somewhere between six and eight million dollars. And I mean, that's six guys <laughs> around a million dollars each. So it's going to be some wild stuff. And you know what I always wonder? Let's hypothetically look 10 years down the road or 20 years. These guys are retired and they didn't win a cup. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're if you're Matthews and you're kneeling during the, you know, do I really need that hundred sixty million dollars in the bank? Or would a Stanley Cup in Toronto mm-hmm. with better players around me actually have worked out? And he's only there for four years. Matthews only signed a four-year contract extension. Nylander signed an eight-year deal. So Matthews might be looking at this in four years when he's 32 years old saying, yeah, I'm out. I'm going to go somewhere else and win a Stanley Cup. That's the smarter way to go about it if you're Matthews. Nylander probably just wants to end in Toronto, doesn't care, wants the money in the bank. But Matthews did it the right way where it's like, yeah, I'll give you four more years. And unless you build a competent team around me, because, guys, they don't have a goaltender. Like, they don't have – Joseph Wall looked good, but he's hurt. Now, I don't know if that kid's going to be able to fill in those shoes for him, but they don't have a goaltender, and that's the problem if this team wants to have any success. And they don't they need another D-man or two? Well, yeah. I mean, Mark Giordano's playing top four minutes for him, so, and I don't know how many more years Mark Giordano's got. I'll be damned. All right, another thing, and, and this time I'm going to wrap it up because I have to do a stupid Zoom with a record label. I'd rather friggin' <laughs> punch myself in the head. I just one time for these <laughs> record labels to be listening <laughs> to the podcast. Just oh, a huge I, honest, fan. Honest to God, I hope they are. <laughs> I, I, honest to almost every single one of you. Um, one of these days we'll do a podcast about my thoughts on the record industry and how it's absolutely hosed up freaking everything. But, 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 but. Can we talk we, Rascal Flatts records if, uh, if we do that? No, okay. Jesus. The, the failure of the record industry is why bands Whoa! like that are freaking popular. All right, anyway. Okay, one more thing real All quick. Right, anyway. Um, I, I, I love, um, I love being a sports fan because I love being wrong about stuff that doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and at the beginning of the year, when the big deals were signed in Winnipeg, uh, specifically with, with, with the goaltender yeah, there, I thought, what are they doing? This is an opportunity for them to hit the reset button, all of these sorts of things. Whew, I was wrong. They're doing pretty well up there, and that seemed, I mean, those moves there, those signings that I thought were nuts, 
seem like they stabilized the ship and everything up there. I mean, they're playing freaking fantastic. Well, you kept Shifley and Hellebuck, but I think the bigger move that they made was trading Luke Dubois for those three players from the LA sure. Kings. Gabe Velarde's been like over a point per game player since he's returned from injury. He's been massive for them. I'm still skeptical on Winnipeg, though. They're yeah. a juggernaut, but... Their their mo is they're great in the regular season, but they overuse Connor Hellebuck, and he's exhausted by the first round of the playoffs, and he can't live up to the, what he did in the regular season. That's been the same story with them for the last three years. So as great as Winnipeg looks right now, talk to me in April. Yeah, and I looked at those contract situations going into the season. I'm like, this isn't going to end well. How yeah. can you play with all this distraction, so on and so forth? But I'll never forget. Quickly here is uh, we had to do our preseason predictions, and I put Winnipeg like I don't know six or seventh oh, in, in, in the West. <laughs> And all of a sudden, and I was in charge of collecting the predictions. So they were all, all the writers were shooting their predictions to me. And Mike Russo had him like third. And I'm like, what is Mike Russo, Minnesota college? You know, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. How does, what? Like, maybe I should bump these guys. He gets his eraser. He's like, oh, son of What's going on here? That's so cool, though, man. Like, when you mention names like that, um, and I think I probably started following uh, Mr. Russo a couple years ago when the Blues were playing the yeah. Wild in the playoffs, but it's so amazing, and, and I'm doing a free plug for The Athletic. There are so many good friggin' riders. So freaking many good riders. Not just doing the NHL thing, no. but I talk about it all the time. I My Buffalo Bills coverage through The Athletic is like, it's like sometimes my lifeline. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I'm not in that circle of media or whatever. So it's huge. Huge, and just you guys just do such a great job, man. No, I appreciate. It. Yeah, Alex, you're probably same boat. I was hoping the Blues uh, Bills would uh, win, so then I could tell Donnie, "Yeah, I'll come in," because otherwise, I'm not coming. In. <laughs> yeah. like, I, I was going to text lose, him. I was going to text him when New England scored. Uh, not New England when Miami scored the first one, and I'm like, uh, "God, I'm just not even going to bother Donnie because I don't know how he's doing right now." I saw the picture of you with your matching hat and your your Bills T-shirt, so I'm like, Donnie might be a wreck right now. That that picture was taken, and I am not lying, by my son at 8.30 on Sunday morning. Jeez, Almost 12 hours news? prior. No, dude, I got up and I was ready to roll. <laughs> like, like, I was, that whole, dude, that day. So that day, I um, completely redid my office downstairs. I vacuumed upstairs, did all of the laundry. Uh, I, like, I was, Mary was like, we need to go to the store. I'll do it. Like, I, I, I just... I, every time I looked at the clock, I swear to God, it went back a half an hour. We need a new fence in the backyard. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot, if the weather would have been better, man, I would have done yard work for sure. on the roof. I, I don't know what it is, guys, and I have to work on this. I love my Blues so much. I love my Cardinals, but when I am watching those Bills games, I do not like the person that I become. I I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to, like, like I had it. Okay, so I have, um, uh, I pay for Sirius, and so I was listening to the call, to the Bills home call, um, because I love their radio team, and then I had it synced up with the Peacock app so that I could watch while I was listening. And at one point in the second freaking quarter, it was just too much for me to watch, so I turned over on the side of my bed, and I'm listening to it, and Mary comes in the room, and I'm literally staring at our closet, and she's, honey, are you okay? Do you need anything? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just I'm just into this game. She's like, are they losing? I was like, yes, but that's not it. I just, I, I, I just have trouble with words right now, and so it's just... I just, it's so much. And then we have a, like, a, I have a friend circle of Bills fans. And in the third quarter, 
one of these chuckleheads, and if you're listening, you chucklehead, you know who you are, texted, well, boys, looks like we're going to be playing Miami again next week. And I wanted to take my goddamn phone and throw it in the friggin' backyard, but instead, I took a gif from a, a gladiator, never give up, never surrender. <laughs> Smart. And that's what ended up happening. Oh, Smart. But I hate, but like, but like, I would rather have one of you guys messaging me and even giving oh, me no. a little crap than that guy who is supposed to be on the Bills Mafia bandwagon who's giving it up in the middle of the third. Stop it. I don't want to be a chucklehead or a record label guy in, did in you, your world. Did you see how angry he got when he said chucklehead? <laughs> I never want to be a chucklehead to Donnie. You know, man, I, I mean, you know, dudes, I... <laughs> I understand that sometimes it looks ugly, but come on, man, that's, you gotta believe. That's why I love you, brother. You, you gotta believe. You gotta you gotta have hope for something for the love of Pete. Don't text me though when the Blues like match up against Vegas in the first round of the playoffs because I'm gonna be skeptical. Well, you and I both. <laughs> All right. Uh, no, man, you gotta believe. Well, I, I well I do, but I yeah, but I believe in reality. <laughs> Two years. No, no, no. Here's here's me. Two years ago, you guys had me on. I was on with you and oh, yeah, BK. That's right. And you asked me if I thought the Bills were going to beat the Chiefs. In, 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 I, and I said no, I didn't think so because I didn't think the Bills were there yet. And Kai, and Brandon was like, no, Donnie, come on, you got to root for your team. And it's like, it's not that I'm rooting for my team. It's just You're that sorry. I can see that my, you know, you that gotta, I didn't think my guys were there yet. You your head right before you go into that game. And if I go to a first-round <laughs> playoff series against Vegas, who I think could win the friggin' Stanley Cup, then... <laughs> I kind of know. One real quick thing I wanted to mention, just because I saw it yesterday, um, and I think the video has been out there for a couple of days. But and I'm not even really a super big fan of this guy. I just love the human side of sports. And it was Max Pacioretty uh, yeah. got his first assist with the Washington Capitals, and maybe like his first real in-game action in a couple of years. Yeah. And he did a little speech where he talked about not taking things for granted and. It was just really awesome. Like, I think I just became a Max Pacioretty <laughs> fan by, you know, kind of watching that. Just a cool thing to I see. I love Max Pacioretty. Especially when you have those injuries like that. You're out for that long. That's tough. And and, and, and come back. and yeah. Man, dude, that's that's something else. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, i got to get bored by a record company here in just a couple <laughs> of minutes. For the Athletics, Jeremy Rutherford, 101 ESPN's Alex Ferrario. For our homeboy, Jeff Burton and Jamie Rivers, my name is Donnie Fandango. This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Thank you for listening, St. Louis, and let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com.